It was in September 1939 when Warsaw first made front-page news. With horror and bewilderment, fear and incredulity, the world followed it. My name is Jack Fairweather. I'm the author of The Volunteer, which is a biography of an amazing man, Witold Pilecki. Witold Pilecki was a officer in the Polish underground. And in September 1940, he did something that is almost unimaginable. He agreed to take on a mission to infiltrate Auschwitz. camp had just opened. It was a holding facility for Polish nationals and the Polish underground that had sprung up uh, following the German invasion of Poland in September 1939 wanted to find out what was happening in the camp. Already there were rumours of its particular bloodthirsty nature and they turned to Pilecki as, uh, as an underground member and said could you get yourself into the camp? And that's really the start of the story. Paletsky decides that the best way to get into Auschwitz to find out what's happening there is to get himself arrested by the Gestapo. And that's what happens in September 1940. He allows himself to get arrested during a German roundup. And there begins his incredible, terrifying journey into the heart of the Nazis' greatest evil. The most up-to-date institution was better equipped for killing. Transports of prisoners from all over occupied Europe were sent for extermination in one of the special Vernichtungslager. The Germans established the Auschwitz concentration camp in June 1940, originally as a holding facility for Polish nationals and um, the underground in Poland that had sprung up in opposition to the German occupation wanted to find out what was happening inside the camp. Already stories of great brutality were emerging. The reason why the Polish underground wanted to find out more was they were hoping to get a message to the Allies that at that stage of the war consisted primarily of the British they wanted help in their own battle against the Nazis. They were hoping to stir public opinion in Britain, in the wider world, and show the brutality of the Nazi occupation. That was very much Vitor's mission, was to go into the camp, gather data, and somehow smuggle it out. As many men, women, and children as you could pack into a great city. A cattle car which they travel down to the camp in, uh, the doors are thrown open and Paletsky is one of about a thousand prisoners who are dragged from the train and given a brutal hazing by the SS. They're beaten, 10 prisoners are shot summarily right in front of Paletsky. They're driven into the camp uh, where they're then stripped and shaved and given numbers in place of their names. Um, they've been turned into human chattel. And Paletsky is in a state of shock. And he knew the camp was going to be a harsh environment, but he had no idea just how brutal it was going to be. And over the next 
few days, he's introduced into the harsh regime of the camp. The prisoners are driven out to work in brutal conditions around the camp, essentially building the concentration camp around them, working gravel pits, constructing the crematorium, and they're on starvation rations, and the Germans have imported prisoners from other concentration camps to serve as their lackeys, and they beat up the prisoners, um, often to death, and Polisky describes this experience as one of sort of staggering around in a, in a haze to begin with. Um, but then something remarkable happens, which I describe in the book. Polisky is able to find the wherewithal in, in that harsh conditions to start reaching out to the other prisoners. One of the first prisoners he recruited into the underground, a young man called Konstanty Piekarski, describes how Paletsky took him aside one evening just before the camp goes into lockdown and says, will you join the underground, which at that stage pretty much just consists of Paletsky. And I really like Con's response that he describes in his testimony. He says, he sort of looked at Paletsky and said, are you nuts? Look at us. We are in no fit state to fight back against the Nazis. Then Con describes a moment that I think was you know, to be repeated again and again in the camp as Paletsky's organization grew, as he recruited more and more people. Con realized that Paletsky was giving him a secret, the secret of the underground. He was trusting him with his life. And that trust meant more to Con than a loaf of bread um, or a job indoors. He could, if you had wanted to, just betray Paletsky right there and then for preferential treatments, but he didn't because he knew that he needed that trust. He needed that belief in something greater than himself to endure in the camp. And that really was the secret of the underground. And from there, Paletsky's organization grew and grew. The nation did not die. She dug herself deep into the ruins and began her patient, dangerous life. His first idea upon arriving in the camp was to somehow stage a breakout. Um, but within a few weeks in the camp, he is starving. His first recruits are in terrible condition. He realizes that a, a breakout is simply going to be impossible to achieve. So he begins to sort of think again about this problem about of how to inform the West about what's happening in Auschwitz. How can he smuggle out a message from Auschwitz. Um, an individual escape was possible but incredibly dangerous and what he learned upon arriving in the camp was that when there wasn't an escape all the prisoners in the camp were subjected to a brutal roll call until the prisoner was either recaptured or um, as a form of punishment if he was successful. And Pletsky didn't want to you know lead to the you know have deaths on his conscience as a result of that. But about a month into his time in the camp, he learned that there was a prisoner who was going to be released because his family had paid the right bribes in Warsaw. And so Paletsky approaches the man and says, in secret, will you carry a report to me to the underground? And the man agrees that he had been in the underground himself in Warsaw before his capture. 
So Paletsky has him memorize a report. Um, of course, it was impossible to write anything down and far too dangerous if it was ever discovered. Man memorizes this oral report and, take, and took it to Warsaw upon his release. And I think one of the really goosebump-inducing moments of the research for me was tracking down that report. No one had ever done so before because it was oral, people thought it must have been lost. But in the course of research, I found with my researcher, the son of Paletsky's messenger. That man's name, the messenger, was Alexander Wielopolski. And uh, his son was in his 80s when I met him in Warsaw. He had no idea that his dad was Paletsky's messenger from the camp, not just his messenger, but the first one bearing witness to what, had, what was happening in Auschwitz. He had only a few details about his father's experience in Warsaw because, of course, it was very dangerous to talk about the underground in the years after the war. But this man did have the name, a name that he th of the person he thought his father might have stayed with, Dembinsky. And that was the name that allowed us to sift through all of the underground reports that are stored in the archives in London to find the one folder, the Dembinsky folder, that describes how Paletsky's message was taken from Warsaw across occupied Europe all the way to London, to the Polish government in exile. From there, it reached the RAF commands. And because it was an oral report, contained in that report are Paletsky's own words, you know, whispered to Wielopolski under the noses of the SS guards. And they were stunning words that I would like to share with you now. He calls on the RAF for the love of God please bomb the camp, even if it means killing all of us prisoners, because what is happening there is so terrible, it has to end. And Paletsky was calling on the RAF to do that in October 1940, years before um, there was a public debate about whether or not to bomb Auschwitz. For me, it's one of history's great what might have been, you know, what would have happened had the RAF taken up his call for action. These children are twins. When identical twins were born to non-German parents, they were confiscated and handed over to an experimental station. German doctors injected them with diseases and attempted cures. Success in the cure was not important, as these children were written off, unknown. They had no names, only numbers tattooed on their arms. This was before Auschwitz was to become the death factory for Europe's Jews. Uh, you know, that, those early weeks, months of Auschwitz, Auschwitz's existence, it was just a place for Polish nationals. And when there were Jewish prisoners among the Polish nationals, they were subjected to special hazing and extra brutality, but it was yet to become an extermination site. And yet, the sheer brutality of the place, the beatings, the starvation, the just awful conditions that led to rampant disease meant that dozens and dozens of prisoners were dying each day. And that's reflected in some shocking 
SS documents of the time. One of Pletsky's first jobs in the camp that he hardly, barely survived was collecting gravel to help in the construction of the camp's crematorium. In that crematorium was Auschwitz's first oven, constructed a few weeks before Pletsky's arrival. It had the capacity to burn 90 bodies a day, but already we see through the SS documents them discussing whether that would be enough. In fact, they are saying we may need two or three ovens to meet the capacity of mortality of the camp. So that gives you an idea of just how many prisoners were dying and just unprecedented abuse being meted out on prisoners. Um, and that's what Poletsky was responding to. That's why he felt there was this absolute moral necessity to bomb Auschwitz. You know, some of those, some of that message was contained in his oral report that was delivered to Warsaw. Bit by bit, some of the descriptions of the camp's horrors are removed as the report is transmitted point by point across Europe to London. So by the time it reaches the RAF, there's a sort of very cursory description of the horrors of the camp and then the request to bomb, bomb it. You see how some of that moral imperative that Poletsky felt for action begins to fade as the report is transmitted across Europe. This camp was scientifically planned with a view to mass murder. Vast extensions were still being built. Arrangements of gas chambers, mortuaries, and incinerators. The normal extermination rate was 10,000 to 12,000 per day. Palatsky endures in the camp for two and a half years, an extraordinary stretch of time. Throughout that period, he is chronicling what the Nazis are doing. And one of the reasons why his story is so important from a historical perspective is that his reports are really charting the steps by which the Nazis came to the moral logic, came to the technological capacity to mass murder on an industrial scale. The first step is, of course, how they treat the Polish prisoners, that brutality, that that process of turning men into numbers um, to be abused and harassed and murdered. But then they begin to look at ways to kill sick prisoners who are no longer contributing to the camp economy. After the invasion of the Soviet Union, Russian prisoners arrive in the camp and they begin to look at ways to murder potential communist agents and Jewish prisoners among them. That's when the first experiments take place with gassing prisoners. And then, of course, the Holocaust begins and Auschwitz becomes a vast industrial center of mass murder. Paletsky's reporting on each of these different steps and his reports, I chart their progress in the book from the camp all the way to London. Most of them contain a plea from Paletsky to take action. He has various different pleas. His first is, of course, is to bomb the camp. Then he's talking about maybe trying to airdrop in supplies for the prisoners to get hold of and arm themselves. Then he's looking at dropping in parachute brigades. I mean, he's just finding ways to fight back. But of course, at a certain point, he realizes that his messages are not landing. He and his men, they've been preparing, they're ready to stage an uprising, but needs that outside support. And so he hits upon his final act of extraordinary courage in the camp. He decides that the only way he's going to persuade the Allies to take action is if 
he himself escapes, persuades them personally to take up arms. And so he then begins trying to work out how on earth do you get out of Auschwitz? And the answer is for me, just one of those just amazing moments in his story where he dashes from a bakery, which is operated by prisoners outside the camp and embarks on this extraordinary journey across Nazi occupied Poland to a safe house in um, outside Krakow and it was one of the things I wanted to do during the research was to try and recreate that journey. Um, Pletsky gives us the name of some of the places he visited along the route so with my researcher um, Marta we recreated the exact moment when he left the camp April the 26th early hours and then followed his his route we would often show up in small little towns and villages where we knew he stayed and just ask can you take us to the oldest person in the village and on a couple of occasions that led us to families that had actually sheltered Paletsky on his journey. And it was truly one of the most amazing experiences to sit with those families. The children, now in their late 80s, recalling the moment when there was a knock at the door. Paletsky and the two other prisoners he escaped with showed up, bedraggled, starving, desperate, and their families sheltered, sheltered them. And I think as a biographer, you're always trying to chase after your quarry, hoping for a glimpse of them and uh, when you get to sit in the same room as they sat and meet the same people that they met you know you feel that you finally caught up and get to be with your be with your subject an attempt had been made to destroy the installations but russian troops were able to uncover most of it five crematoria with a capacity of 279000 per month Paletsky um, tries to rally the underground in southern Poland to attack Auschwitz. And, you know, it's a moment, it's a reality check for him. Um, For starters, they are deeply skeptical about him. They think, how on earth for Warsaw, for the future of Poland? Because as the Soviets enter Poland, the underground realizes that they've got to stake their claim for independence. That means sort of rising up against the Germans declaring independence before the Russians can seize the capital. And Pilecki's right in the thick of the fighting against the Germans then. And it turns into this cataclysmic battle that levels the city. Pilecki's is in the heart of the fighting. He, along with many other uh, resistance fighters is taken into captivity. The underground is defeated. He spends the last few months of the war in German captivity, is liberated by American troops in uh, April 1945. At that point, when we think about the end of World War II, we think about victory parades in London, in New York, um, that was not the case for Central and Eastern Europe. There was no victory. Um, there was Soviet occupation. Uh, Poland was hastily um, occupied by Soviet forces. And Paletsky, like every Pole, faced 
a terrible choice. Do they accept Stalin's rule or do they continue to fight? Um, and I think, as you can probably guess, Pelletsky chose the latter. He returns to Warsaw and sets up an underground cell, this time to report on Soviet crimes against Polish citizens. And it's a really dark time that's, um, I think, not very well understood in Britain. Tens of thousands of fighters, the very men who had been fighting against the Nazis for all those years, uh, were rounded up by the communist secret police, sent to gulags, hundreds were executed. Paletsky, tragically, himself, is betrayed, arrested, tortured brutally and put on a show trial before finally himself being executed. All trace of his wartime exploits in Auschwitz and after the war, sadly deleted from history by the communists because, of course, they didn't want his inspirational story of resistance reaching the fellow countrymen. And so for decades, his story was largely forgotten. Well, I think when you think about Paletsky, his heroism and courage is just off the charts. But what I found really touched me about him was not his seemingly sort of superhuman qualities, but the fact that, but for World War II, Paletsky would probably have been just an ordinary farmer in Eastern Poland. His experience of the war changed something inside him. He went from an ordinary life to an extraordinary one. I really wanted to get at the heart of how that was possible because I felt there was something really there for all of us to learn from. How do you transform? How is it that under the Nazis, when they're trying to reduce people, atomize people, Pletsky found the ability to expand his moral horizons. And one word kept coming up again and again with survivors who I spoke to had, who had known him with his children who lived as Noah Paletsky as, as teenagers. And they had the same word, and that was trust. He had an amazing ability to trust others. And you know that became, in some ways, the secret of the underground in Auschwitz. It numbered almost a thousand men when Paletsky escaped the camp. Never once was there a betrayal among those men, despite many being um, tortured by the Nazis in the camp, trying to discover the underground. And that's really testimony to that, that togetherness that Paletsky was able to achieve. And, you know, for me, trust is, seems like such an important idea today when, you know, I think a lot of our communities feel divided. There's a lot of rancor and on social media, you know, are we doing enough to reach out and trust those around us? Um, Paletsky did that time and time again in the camp. He reached out to people who had different political views to himself. He reached out to the Russian prisoners when they arrived in Auschwitz, the Russians who had 
started World War II in their pact with Nazi Germany. He reached out to them because he saw in their suffering something that had to be observed, had to be reported on, had to be stopped. I think that's a message for all of us. Can we reach out to those around us? Can we trust people more? And if we can achieve that on a small scale, you know, we can achieve great things collectively.